You know, there's something about a praying mother. I'm so thankful for moms that pray. Many of us wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for a praying mama or a praying grandmother who just refused to give up on her sons and daughters. You know, I was thinking about how my mom, oftentimes me, my brother, my sisters, we would walk into the living room and mom would be in there praying for us. She'd be praying for each of us. She'd, she'd be praying with my dad. They'd be praying together sometimes and, and then praying at nighttime. I'd uh, sometimes walk into the kitchen late at night to get some cheese or get some milk or chocolate milk. Mom would be in there just praying for us. And they would teach us how to pray, and sometimes they would take us to undeveloped land. Uh, I remember before this building was built, this used to be just an empty field. They would take us to fields like this field uh, and another field in North Tulsa, and they would say, what do you see? And we say, well, we see grass, we see dirt, we see rocks, we see the sky, and they were like, okay, enough of that. <laughs> they were like, not what do you see out here, what do you see in here? I don't know. I don't know what I see. And they would teach us to imagine and have vision for what could be on that field. And they would begin to say, I see a dream center one day. I see a hospital for the hurting. I see computer labs and basketball courts and mentors uh, ministering and, and, and uh, uh, after school care. I see an auditorium that's going to be able to minister to thousands of people, TV ministry. They were teaching us to see with eyes of faith. Today, I want to talk to you about visionary leadership. If you're taking notes, you can just write this down, visionary leadership. In the Bible, we see God raising up visionary leaders who could see into the supernatural. They would see it in here before it happened out there. See, before this auditorium was built, it was already built in the hearts of my mom and dad. If you're going to see something come to pass out here, you're going to have to first see it in your heart. If you're waiting for the sermon to start, it's already started. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In other words, it's not out here yet, but it's in here. You see your son coming back to the Lord. You see your marriage turning around. You see your health being restored. You see the cancer going away. You see strife being driven out of your house. You see lust being broken off your husband. You see freedom over your children. You see breakthrough miracles in your business. You see the finances are turning around. You see yourself walking in debt freedom. You've got to see it in here before it happens out there. See, this isn't some sort of uh, self-help message. This is literally the scriptures of faith. The world has tried to turn this into their own version of, of self-help and visualization, but it all started in the Bible. I mean, God is the one who created the universe with his words, but his words had been formed by the thoughts in his heart. He saw what the world should be, and he spoke it into existence. Let there be light. Let there be land. Let there be water. Let there be stars in the sky. Planets. See, God was speaking it forth. Well, when I was younger, I was learning how to understand this visionary leadership, this faith that my mom and dad were modeling for us. And we were driving out to Camp Victory one, one day, and, and we were going to have a picnic out there. And so they were asking each of, each of the kids to pray. We were in my mom's van, and so Sarah prayed, Ruthie prayed, you know, John prayed. We're praying, Lord, let us have a good day. Let us be safe. Let us have fun. And then it got to me. And I, I, I had this audacious, bold prayer. I said, Lord, I thank you. I'm going to catch a lizard today out at Camp Victory. 
God, you know that I love lizards. You know lizards are my favorite animal. So God, I see my breakthrough is coming. The lizard is in. I already call it in. I'm gonna catch the lizard. It's at Camp Victory. Lord, I thank you for a miracle in Jesus' name. And my parents are laughing. My siblings are laughing. They're like, come on, Paul. God doesn't care about you catching a lizard. No, they didn't say that. They said, okay, if you believe it, we'll, we'll, we'll pray with you. We'll agree with you. You know, they were agreeing with me. So I got out to Camp Victory and I was literally trying to picture myself capture a lizard. I was going, God, where's my lizard? I know it's out here. My miracle is in the house. My breakthrough is just around the river bend. I know it's gotta be out here. So I'm walking around searching for it and I come upon these leaves and I put my hand down and I sh I'm telling you, I caught a lizard that day. Now this lizard changed colors. I mean, this wasn't just a normal lizard. This was a, a cool lizard. I caught that lizard. I go, faith works, faith works, prayer works. I was so excited. My prayers had come to pass. My faith had come to pass. I was telling John and my friends, Daniel Grothy and other guys, I said, guys, look, I prayed for a lizard and I caught it. And they go, you gotta go show mom and dad. And back then we didn't have a building out at Camp Victory. We had an open air pavilion. And so I ran over there. They were having a prayer meeting and I was trying to get their attention. I was going, mom, dad, faith works. Prayer works, faith works. And they were like, okay, you know, they're praying for people. So I decided I'm just gonna show them my miracle. <laughs> so I took my miracle and I put it on my mom's leg. <laughs> and the miracle started crawling up her leg, that little lizard. And she's going, whoo, and she was praying for a woman and the woman thought the Holy Spirit had gotten in her. So the woman's going, come somebody, yes, hey, whoo. And my mom, the lizard's crawling up her blouse and then up on her face and she's going, hey, 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 da, da, da. And I'm laughing, John's laughing. <laughs> Everybody say faith works. <laughs> so many stories like that. You know, I'm, I'm grateful they didn't get mad. They celebrated the miracle that God did. But you know, you gotta see the miracle before it happens. Visionary leaders, they imagine things, they see things in the prophetic realm. They, they're able to see in the supernatural before it happens in the natural. You know, the enemy to faith and the enemy to vision is fear. Everybody say fear. This morning, I've got some fear goggles with me. You don't know about the fear goggles. Fear goggles, man, they mess up your vision. You're, 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 you get dizzy. You, everything gets blurry. Fear goggles. It distorts the picture. It, it magnifies the problem and it minimizes your God. It magnifies the circumstances. And when you got the fear goggles on, you don't think anything's going to work out. You're stressed out. You're worried. Pressure, pressure, anxiety. You don't know what's going to happen and you're afraid. But we serve a God. Who wants to rip off your fear goggles? He says, in order for you to fulfill the vision I have for you, I'm going to have to take fear out of you. Paul told Timothy, you've not received a spirit of fear. So take off your fear goggles, not your beer goggles, your fear goggles. Take off your fear goggles because you have power, love, and a sound mind. Church, in order for us to fulfill the vision that God has for us, we're going to have to put on eyes of faith to be able to see beyond the natural and to see inside the supernatural. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. This is what the devil does. He gets fear to blind your eyes and he kills your courage. 
He steals your confidence and he destroys your destiny. The devil doesn't have to kill you physically if he can kill your faith. He doesn't have to take you out physically if he can take you out psychologically. If he can get you convinced that things are never going to work out. That this is the end of the road. This is as good as it gets. But I'm telling you, our God is greater than the thief. Jesus says, hold on, there's someone else that's better. That someone else is me. I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. The thief, yeah, he's there but don't make him bigger than he really is. Don't put on the fear goggles. Here's what fear does. Fear makes a problem look so overwhelming. There's a picture of a fog that comes into a city. It looks like this, and it covers an entire city. It will cover the bridges and the roads and, and the buildings. In Tulsa, we've seen a big fog come over our city before. But did you know a fog that could cover the entire city of Tulsa like that, that deep of a fog, can't even fit into an eight-ounce glass of water? That a fog, literally, when you put it together, it's made up of water. But it's really just a few ounces of water that can cover an entire city with a fog. This is what fear does. Fear takes a little doctor's report and says, this is the end. You're never going to recover. You won't be healed. But God comes in with the spirit of faith and he says, by my stripes, you are healed. I bore your sickness and your disease on the cross. The, the fear magnifies what's happening with your kids, that they're not going to turn around. But faith says, no, God, you charge angels round about. Lord, we've trained our children up and they will not depart from the words that we have spoken. Everybody say faith over fear. The, the, the real deal is that faith and fear both require the same amount of energy. They both ask us to believe in something that hasn't happened yet. Fear says to believe that this is going to happen. Faith says to believe that this is going to happen. Fear says believe it's not going to work out. Faith says, believe God is Jehovah Jireh, your provider. He's going to work things out. He's working all things together for good. The question is, which one will you believe? Visionary leaders, they take hold of faith and they get rid of fear. They push fear out and they grab hold of faith. There was one leader in the Bible that, that really just stood out to me. All week long, I couldn't get this story out of my heart. And it's the story of Deborah. I want us to go to Judges chapter 4, verse 1. And I want to set up the story of Deborah. Deborah was called the mother of Israel. She never, there's no mention of her having biological children, but yet she was called the mother of Israel. That's powerful right there. That means that no matter whether you have children or not, God has still called you to be a mother. Whether you have kids or not, God has still called you to be a mentor called you to be a nurturer, called you to raise up a generation. This was Deborah. Her name means be honeybee. She was, uh, she was sweet to her friends, but she could sting her enemies. She was like the iron lady in the Bible, like Margaret Thatcher. She was a plain spoken, truth speaking woman. She was tough, but she was sweet too. And she was a judge in Israel. God had raised her up as a leader in Israel. But here's, here's the backstory. Before Deborah steps on the scene, she was there, but nobody knew she was there yet. Verse one, it says the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord and that when they sinned, they did evil in God's sight. Ehud, their previous leader before Deborah, he died. Now get this. When Ehud was alive, they were following God because Ehud would hold them to that accountability. Once Ehud died, they went off and did whatever they wanted to do. They feared Ehud more than they feared God. When he was alive, they did what was right. When he was gone, even though God was still there, they, they did evil in the sight of God. 
So God is, you know, he, he lets us, he lets, when you get into sin, you lose sight of who you are and the consequences of sin. God still loves you, still forgives you, but the consequences of sin is it pulls you away from that right standing with God. So the children of Israel, they get in captivity. In verse two, they get captured by Jabin. And then verse three, Sisera, the, the leader of this army in Canaan, comes in and he oppresses the children of Israel so harshly that finally they lift up a cry to the Lord. I want to stop right there. The children of Israel had fallen into sin. When we get into sin, we forget who we are. We forget whose we are. They had an identity problem. They had fallen into idolatry and it had stolen their identity. There's a story about a circus that had been traveling through the United States of America several years ago. And they had this really famous gorilla. This gorilla was one of their best acts. He would come out and he was funny and he would get the crowd all riled up and he would do all kinds of tricks. But over time, the gorilla got tired and older and he finally died. Well, the circus didn't have enough money to replace this gorilla and so they, they had enough money to make a costume. And they found a guy in the circus who was willing to dress up and wear the costume and act like a gorilla. Nobody else knew it was a person. Everybody else thought it was still an animal. But the owners of the circus knew they had paid a professional actor to act like a gorilla. So he would put on the costume and he would go out there and walk like a gorilla. He would talk like a gorilla. He, would act. he got so good at acting like a gorilla that one day he started doing acrobatic stuff. He would get up on the ropes. He was swinging, doing flips. He was putting on a great show. And one day while he was swinging in the air, he landed in the cage of a lion. Now this lion was a big lion in the circus. He was a hungry lion. Everybody go, ooh. So this man dressed up in a gorilla outfit starts backing up from the lion. His eyes are getting really big. He goes, please don't eat me. I'm just a man. I'm not really a gorilla. Please don't eat me. And the lion looks at him, tilts his head as he's watching this gorilla talk. And the man in the gorilla costume goes, please, please, please don't eat me. I'm a man. I'm not a gorilla. I'm a man, please. And the lion goes, will you be quiet? You're going to get both of us fired. <laughs> the point of the story is that so many times we're pretending to be someone that we're not. That circus had ran out of money and so they were paying people to be animals. But how many times do we mistake our identity? We forget who we are. The children of Israel had forgotten who they were because they forgot whose they were. When you don't know whose you are, you won't know who you are. And so these Israelites, they had fallen into captivity and they had lost their courage and, and, and strong leaders in Israel had gone hiding in the caves. And they cried out for a leader. And God doesn't have this uh, preferential basis of who he's gonna use. He'll use whoever is available. God loves women and men. He's not just interested in only using one gender. God will use the ladies and the men. Come on, that's a good place for the ladies to say amen. And verse four, it says, now Deborah. I love those first two words, now Deborah. Everybody say, now Deborah. <laughs> Deborah was different than the other children of Israel. She knew who she was. She had a firm identity. Deborah steps on the scene and the introduction is, I know there's chaos, I know there's stuff going on, but now 
Deborah. God had found a woman who feared the Lord. Ladies, charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. I'm telling you, your value is not in your looks. You are beautiful on the outside, but your value is in your fear of the Lord. When you fear God, God's looking for a woman who says, Lord, I can't do it on my own, not in my own strength, but I'm looking towards you. I'm finding my identity in you. Sometimes I feel weary, God, but Lord, I'm trusting in you. Number one, don't underestimate your God-given identity. Don't underestimate your God-given identity. Deborah had a firm, unshakable identity in the Lord. She knew whose she was, and so it empowered her to know who she was. See, identity produces authority. Deborah was able to lead with this visionary leadership because she had a secure identity in God. She knew, I am a daughter of the Most High God. I am anointed for such a time as this. Now, Deborah. Judges chapter 5, verse 7. Deborah is writing these words, and she literally writes this. She says, there were few people left in the villages of Israel. One version says, village life had ceased in Israel until Deborah arose as a mother for Israel. That's powerful right there. That gives me chills. Deborah is literally writing these words, and you might think, well, that sounds really prideful of her to say that about herself. No, Deborah had a boldness that came from an identity that was grounded in the Lord. She said, things changed when I stepped on the scene. Things were different when I showed up. I, the mother of Israel, changed what was currently happening. She stepped on the scene with this courage and this boldness and this lioness type of personality. She said, hold on, mama's in the house and I know who I am and things are changing here. Where there's been nonsense, we're getting rid of it. She was a no-nonsense woman. She was bringing order back to the nation of Israel. Don't underestimate a God-given identity. See, when your identity is in your looks or your identity is in the economy or your identity is in a position, you're going to be on a roller coaster of wondering uh, when or, 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 or if you have the ability to succeed. But when your identity is in the Lord, no matter what company lets you go, you know God's taking care of you. He's going to set you up. No matter what the kids say, no matter what other people say, your identity is not in what the people say. Your identity is in what the Lord says. Sometimes you need to tune out the haters and you need to tune into the voice of the beloved who's saying, I love you. You are my son. You are my daughter. See, even when I'm preaching, sometimes I got to preach with my headphones on. I got to tune out the voice of fear and tune in to the voice of faith. My ability to do what God's called me to do is by listening to his voice. I get my identity in him. Come on, don't make me do some push-ups this morning. Sometimes, hey, by the way, that's Christian rap for all y'all that don't listen to Christian rap. It just went to a whole nother level. That's my boy, Andy Mineo. <laughs> Y'all weren't ready for that. I just had to change it up for a second for all the victory kids in the house. But when I go to the gym and I'm working out and I really want a good workout, I got to get focused. Everybody say focused. 
Your ability to focus is by tuning out the negative voices and tuning into the voice of the Almighty who says, I've called you as a mom. I've called you as a dad. I've called you to raise the standard as a single girl, as a single guy, as a college student. I've called you. Your identity is not in what they've said, not in what he said. Your identity is in what God has said. Tune in to the voice of the Lord. That's where your identity is at. Your identity produces authority. Your identity produces anointing. See, I can't preach under the anointing if I'm caring all about what you think. If I came here to care what you think, I wouldn't be able to do what God wants me to do. But when I care only what he thinks and I'm preaching for an audience of one, I can drive fear out and I can walk in faith and not by sight. Come on, somebody. So your identity comes from a healthy fear of the Lord, because when you have a healthy fear of the Lord, you don't fear anybody else. When you have a healthy fear of the Lord, you aren't afraid of anything else. Fear might come knocking at your door. It comes knocking at my door all the time, but I don't grab hold of it. Even this morning, as I was walking in here, fear tries to come at me, worry, stress, pressure, anxiety, but I just cast it off. Number two, never underestimate. Don't underestimate your presence. Deborah knew who she was, and she knew her presence mattered. Now, Deborah, she stepped on the scene. She changed the atmosphere. What happens when you walk into a room? All of us change the atmosphere, but some of us change it for the positive, and some of us change it for the negative. When you walk into a room, does it get brighter or does it get darker? <laughs> does it get lighter or does it get heavier? I'm not talking about your weight. I'm talking about the spirit, okay? <laughs> Don't get offended. But when you walk in, do you bring joy? Do you, change, do you bring leadership? Or do you bring in fear? See, Deborah, she knew who she was. Her presence, she didn't even have to say anything, and she was going to change the nation. God's looking for someone who understands the value of their presence. There was something about my mom just showing up to my games. The courage and the confidence that came from just her presence. Moms, let me just speak to you for a moment. Your presence matters maybe even more sometimes than what you have to say. Just by you being there. Dads, just showing up to the football game. Just going to the recital. Just being there. Your presence matters. When my father passed away in the hospital, I remember the people who showed up, who stood beside me. I remember those that came alongside us. I don't remember everything they said, but their presence made a difference. Your presence matters more than you think it does. The fact that you showed up to church today, that's made the devil mad. You might have come in an hour late. You might have just gotten here. You know what? That's okay. I'm glad you got here today. It might have taken you two hours just to get all the kids ready and get out of bed. And you had a lot to do. Single parent moms, I applaud you. You got so much work to do and you still got to church. You might be watching online. Your presence matters. The devil wants to make you feel ashamed, wants to make you feel like you're not doing a good job. Your presence matters. Half the battle is just showing up. Half the, I've learned this as a dad now, as a husband, as a pastor. I'm learning this, that half the battle is just getting there. I may not always get there, you know, looking all amazing. <laughs> this morning, I wasn't able to. You know, uh, there was a lot of things I didn't have already. There's times where we get our kids and they just got their diaper on. We just get them to church in their diaper. Thank God we were able to get them here in a diaper. <laughs> but you know what? Here's what I've learned. God's not looking for perfection. He's looking for present people. 
He's not looking for people to look perfect. He's just looking for people to show up. He's looking for a mom who says, I don't have it all, but God, I'll show up. Here am I. He's looking for a dad, for a college student. God, here am I. I don't have it all together, but Lord, I'm here. I'm at church. I'm, I'm leaning in. I'm trying to grow. God sees the, the, the condition of your heart, and he says, your presence makes a difference. Deborah knew this. Number three, she did not underestimate spending time in his presence. Don't underestimate your time in God's presence. I'm not just talking about church. I'm talking about spending time in prayer, spending time in worship, spending time just worshiping God, praising God. Oftentimes, I'll just put on music and just worship the Lord. Just pray to the Lord. I would walk into the living room sometimes and just see mom or dad praying, worshiping, spending time in his presence. Deborah, in verse 4, it says Deborah was a prophetess. She was able to see into the supernatural and be able to speak prophetically because she spent time in his presence. You don't walk in the prophetic if you don't stand in God's presence. You aren't able to walk in the spiritual giftings of the Holy Spirit if you're not really spending time in God's presence. See, when you are in God's presence, it is producing in you a spirituality that strengthens your audacity to confront the issues of your day. That spirituality of being in God's presence is deepened. It's strengthened. It gives you more vitality. It helps you to uh, outlast the storms of your day. One of the heroes in my life that's a visionary leader is my mama right here on the front row. Because of her time in God's presence, we've been able to move forward as a church. When my father passed, she didn't try to do it in her own strength. She got on her knees. She said, God, I'm leaning on your grace. Holy Spirit, help me steady the ship. We wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for a mama who got in God's presence and said, I'm not quitting. I'm not giving up. I might feel inadequate, but Holy Spirit, your anointing is on me. I'm going to go out in your power from being in your presence. Your power comes from being in his presence. Your power to lead comes from being in his presence. Deborah knew the power of God's presence. Don't underestimate your time at church. Don't underestimate your time of praying in the morning. Your prayer, it is practice to handle the pressures that will come later on in the day. This last week, I was watching an interview with Steph Curry, one of the top NBA players right now in the NBA. ESPN said, hey, we admit we put a lot of pressure on you. The world puts a lot of pressure on you. I mean, your dad was in the NBA. Here you are. You're a young guy. You're a dad. You're a husband. You are a confessed Christian. You, you believe in God, and you are right now the top NBA player. In, I mean, you are the top scorer. You're, you, you're doing incredible things. There's a lot of pressure on you. How do you handle the pressure? And you know what Steph said? He said, the Lord helps me. The Lord helps me. I can't do it without God. Thank God for NBA players who are speaking about the Lord and relying on the Lord and depending on the Lord. See, your ability to fulfill your destiny is hinging on your dependability on the Lord. Your ability to fulfill your destiny is hinging on your dependability on the Holy Spirit. You can't do it without God. Apart from me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. Oftentimes, we're trying to do things in our own strength. As Christians, we have to practice by praying and worshiping before the pressure hits you. Because the pressure is going to hit you. The second you walk out of these doors, pressure, pressure, pressure. 
Pressure on Monday, pressure on Tuesday. You've got to stay anchored in the presence of the Lord. I'm better under pressure because I practice in my prayer time. I'm better under pressure because I practice with my praise. I'm worshiping when you're not watching. I'm praying when you're not looking. I'm on my knees when nobody's around. I'm telling you the key to your victory is in your private praise, in your private prayer. When you're all by yourself saying, Lord, I want to be anchored. Deborah could handle the pressure because she was anchored in God's presence. Number four, don't underestimate the seed of your words. Deborah spoke forth in Judges 6. She said, go to, go to uh, she, she told the commander of Israel's army, she said, get up, it's time for you to go to war. God is going before you. Verse seven, she says, the Lord is going to give you the victory. He's already marched out before you. You've got it, the victory is yours. She knew the power of prophetic words. A prophet knows whatever I speak is going to come to pass. God has anointed you as the prophet of your house, as the prophet of your family, as the prophet over your children, as the prophet over this church. Be careful what words you speak that are going forth. Your words will come to pass. Proverbs 18, 21 says the power of life and death is in your tongue. Whatever you speak is going to be fulfilled. Deborah understood as I am speaking, courage is coming into the hearts of people. As I'm declaring it, God is going to bring it to pass. Dad and mom used to lay hands on me and John and they would say, peaceful Paul joyful John. I wasn't that peaceful back then. I was kind of crazy. I was kind of wild. I was kind of uh, unfocused and, you know, always excited, talking, wiggling, getting up from my chair. And they would put their hands on me and say, peaceful Paul. What were they doing? They were speaking prophetically over me. They would look at John and John was angry. He was mad. Everywhere he went, he wanted to hit somebody. And they would put their hands on John and they'd say, joyful John, joyful John. Your words have power. Until you understand that, you are going to miss out on the prophetic anointing that God has given you. It's not just for preachers or traveling ministers. It is for the everyday Christian to walk in the prophetic anointing of the Holy Spirit. You are anointed to prophesy prophesy over your business increase in Jesus name you've blessed us to be a blessing prophesy over your children God our children will hear the Lord they are arrows Lord they're gonna go where you've called them to go they're gonna follow after you Lord I thank you as we've trained our children up in the Lord they will not depart from your ways God has called you to speak prophetically over the atmosphere change the words that are coming out of your mouth speak the words of life speak the words of hope. There was a single parent mom. Her husband left her when she had two young baby children. She was trying to raise her kids and she had one daughter named Gabby who, who started learning how to do gymnastics and she started telling Gabby every day. She'd tell Gabby, Gabby, God's got a plan for you. She would speak Jeremiah 29 11 over Gabby. She said, Gabby, get a vision for your life. Habakkuk 2 verse 3 says, get the vision from the Lord. And though it tarries, wait for it. It will come to pass, Gabby. She kept speaking that over Gabby. She was speaking those words. Gabby would continue to rehearse those words. She would go to church with her mama, her single parent mama. As she got older, she got even more better at Olympics. She went on to be the first African-American to win the golden medals at the Olympics in 2012. She was 17 years old, the youngest athlete to win those gold medals. African, I mean, it was incredible. They were interviewing her. They said, how did you do it, Gabby? She said, mom would speak the scriptures over me. She would speak it over me. 
when I was discouraged and I wanted to quit, she would encourage me in the Lord. She would remind me of the vision, the calling, the plans that God had on my life. I'm telling you, your words carry power. Men, can I just say this? Our job is to encourage our wives, to encourage our daughters, to encourage our sisters in the Lord. We must not be threatened by our wives or threatened by women. God has plans for men and women to complement one another. It's not a one gender leadership society. God wants both genders leading together, serving together, complimenting each other, encouraging each other, spurring each other on. Men, I'm going to preach to you in June, but let me just say, women have a calling and an anointing to do what God's called them to do. Do not disqualify them. Do not put them down. Do not speak harshly to them. Build them up. One of the best things a husband can do is build his wife up. Build his wife up. And one of the best things we can do as dads in front of our kids is teach our children how to respect their mom. Number five, never underestimate your calling to lead. Deborah knew she was called and appointed and anointed to lead. Judges 4 verse 5 says that she would judge the people and the people would come up to her to receive judgment. Deborah knew as a leader, you don't compromise your standards. She was always accessible, but she never compromised her standards. The people didn't come down to Deborah. They came up to Deborah. She had the anointing to tell people what was right and what was wrong. Lord, we need some leaders like that that will say, hey, this is not okay. We don't do this. I've got some boundaries with me this morning and some areas that we say, you know what? We're not going to go over there. That's closed. We're not, we're not going to watch those movies. We're not going to drink that drink. We're not going to smoke that. If God wanted you to be a smoker, he would have put a chimney on your head. You're not called to be. We're not going to put that stuff. We're not going to date those kind of boys. We need parents who don't just want to be buddies with their kids, but will be leaders in their house and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're not going to go to those kind of parties. We're not going to go clubbing. We're not going to find our our mate in the bar at the club. We're going to find him in the church. We're going to serve in the church. We're going to church on Sunday. We're not sleeping in. We're not going to play soccer. We're going to church. We'll play soccer on Monday. We're going to go to church on Sunday morning. We need parents who will say, I'm going to lead my family to the Lord. God has been quickening me and my wife to set the standard in our house. I'm watching my two and a half year old boy already try to test us, be rebellious, (laughs) right? I mean, he's like, we say, Liam, don't do that. He'll go, no, it's not cute anymore. It was cute like six months ago. It's not cute anymore. (laughs) You don't say no to your daddy and mommy. I'm going to give you to the count of three. One, two. He knows when I get to three, like there's going to be consequences, right? Because I still believe that the rod drives out the spirit of rebellion. So it's either going to be timeout or a pow pow. (laughs) We cannot let the culture intimidate us to lead in our church and in our house. I'm not going to let. The United States of America determine what the standard is for this church. I'm not going to let the church three miles down the road determine what we do in this house. As for me and my house, 
We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to read our Bible. We're going to follow God's word. We're going to stand. This has outlasted politicians for centuries. This has outlasted presidents. This has outlasted emperors. This has outlasted the fads of the day. It's outlasted all the churches. This right here is trustworthy and true. His word never returns void. Don't underestimate it. Don't underestimate it. This last week, I, I was in tears because I was, I was watching my son um, learn obedience. And I was so grateful as a dad. I, I, I watched him say, yes, ma'am, to my wife. And I was so grateful because I said, Liam, when mom asks you to do something, say, yes, ma'am. He goes, yes, ma'am. And I go, oh, thank you, Jesus. See, if you don't set boundaries in your house, nobody else will. Singles in this house, set some boundaries for your life. Don't wait till you're in the back seat. Set some boundaries. No trespassing. You can't touch me here. I'm not going out with you if you're going to treat me like that. I'm going to find a guy in the church that's going to honor me. That's going to set some I'm not going out with people that talk like that. We are going to set some boundaries in our house. Set some boundaries for your relationships. God's looking for leaders like Deborah who will call evil evil and call good good who will look people in the eyes and say i love you enough to tell you the truth what you're doing is wrong see when you're in god's presence it produces the power and the boldness to confront situations that are wrong i remember one night i came home i was in trouble i was in high school i had gotten into some some stuff i shouldn't have been doing I got home at 1 a.m. in the morning. I was a teenager. I could drive now. I was supposed to be home a lot earlier. Y'all are like, Paul, Paul got into trouble. Yeah, I did. So I came into my house and I was thinking mom and dad are probably asleep. My dad was asleep because he was just going to punish me in the morning. He was going to ground me in the morning, whatever. But I walked through the door and my mom is standing right there at 1 a.m. in the morning. I go, hi, mom. She goes, hi, Paul, where have you been? Walmart, um, just looking at, you know, slice and bake cookies, frozen pizzas. I got lost in the technical aisle. I was watching a movie in there. She's like, no, you weren't at Walmart. I know where you were. You knew where I was. <laughs> See, when you're in God's presence, it increases your sensitivity you know when your kids are in trouble. You get a feeling when things aren't right. You get discernment. God, thank you for the women who have that discernment of the Holy Spirit. My wife, she gets that spirit of discernment. She goes, Paul, that, that person, it's, it's the wrong motive. It's the wrong situation. Be careful how you're listening to that, that person. Thank God for people who spend time in God's presence and have a spirit of sensitivity to know what's right. Mom looks me in the eye. She goes, you weren't at Walmart. You're lying. Oh, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I'm, I'm sorry, Mama. Thank God for a mama who wasn't trying to be my buddy in the moment, but cared about my destiny and said, Paul, God's got a plan for you. We don't live like that. We don't talk. We don't walk like that. And, and so sure enough, I got the consequences. But here's the point of the story. Don't underestimate your calling to lead. You are anointed and appointed as a prophet in your house. Lead in love, but lead in truth. Don't be so on the side of being a buddy that you don't set boundaries. Deborah was bold enough 
to set standards in her house. Number six, this is the last point. Don't miss this. Never underestimate the God who is with you. Don't underestimate the God who is with you. See, God empowers us to lead. He anoints us to do what he's called us to do. Many times when I'm feeling discouraged or I'm wondering if I've got what it takes, I'll go back to the word of the Lord and I'll remember what God spoke to Joshua. I'm with you as I was with Moses, so I am with you. I remember the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. When you know who's with you, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who parted the Red Seas for Moses in Egypt, the God who crossed the Jordan in Israel, the God who brought down Jericho, you know there is nothing too difficult for our Lord. I've been learning now just in, in working with my son, disciplining my son and, and raising him up and teaching him what to do, what is right, that he's following me. And if I'm not following God, then I'm not leading him the right way. If we're going to lead people in the right path, we've got to get under the authority of God. Deborah feared the Lord. The awesome thing about this story is it ends with Israel winning. And they won big. There wasn't a foe left. And they had 40 years of peace. All because one woman had the courage to fear the Lord and to walk out the calling on her life. I want you to stand to your feet all across this room. Visionary leaders. I'm looking at a room full of visionary leaders. I'm looking at college students, moms, dads, sons, daughters, Widows, singles, married couples, I'm looking at visionary leaders. You have been anointed to lead with vision. See it in your spirit. God, you're not finished with me yet. God, you've got greater days ahead of me than what I've seen behind me. God, you're bringing me out of fear and into faith. I want to speak a word right now to those in this room that have been walking with shame. I just felt that there's moms in this room, there's dads in this room that maybe you missed it, maybe you made a mistake, maybe you, you, you committed a sin, and the devil has been holding you captive in shame, much like the Israelites were in that captivity until Deborah stepped up and said, hold on, God's about to bring you out. Today, I declare shame off you in Jesus' name. Shame off you and righteousness on you. Lord, I thank you that today you are renewing minds, renewing hearts, where there's been fear, where there's been shame, where there's been worry, where there's been discouragement, where there's been unforgiveness towards people who have hurt them. Today, in Jesus' name, I declare they are forgiven. Lord, they are purified. They are sons and daughters of the King. And Lord, I declare that they are prophets in their home, prophets on their campus, prophets in their dorm room, prophets in their apartment, prophets over their business. God, I declare today that they're going to speak and lead with that spirit-led vision, with every head bowed and every eye closed.